Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast. I'm Kevin Sully, joined by Gordon Mack. Got a packed show today. Previews, recaps, track being reinstated, coaches leaving, retirements, Olympic trials, tickets in doubt. Gordon, we got to jump right into this. We have no time to talk about your Sixers, unfortunately, at the beginning of the show. I don't want to talk about it anyway. It was, they were tired. It was off the back-to-back. We'll, we'll get into it next next week. Dude, the season's almost over. The NBA season's almost it over. Is. There's like 12 games left. It's wild. Yes, rapidly coming to a conclusion. As we mentioned yesterday, Trayvon Bromel podcast went up on Thursday, so you can check that out if you haven't done it yet. Also, we released the Trayvon Bromel Flow film on the Flow Track YouTube page. So you can go there, subscribe if you haven't yet. You can subscribe to this channel as well. This is the Flow Track podcast channel. If you're watching us, uh, thank you for joining in. Leave comments in the chat as we go. Let's get right into it, Gordon. And let's start with some good news. It's not every day that we get to start this show with good news. Clemson Track and Field has been reinstated. Congrats to all the folks over there who worked so hard to do it. They released an announcement last night that said that indoor, outdoor, and cross country are all coming back your reaction surprised uh it it worked uh russell dinkins and that whole clemson safe clemson track campaign they're able to make enough noise and get enough people uh attention that it's just straight up that they were able to reverse i mean i think they started getting involved with like the politic the politics of it they started like suing them they got you know, state representatives involved where it wasn't just a, a tweet storm. They got actual people, they got, they filed lawsuits. So they went above and beyond by just signing a petition. They went down like legal route and it worked. And I think, I think if, uh, 
Clemson's alumni and fan base and all that just did nothing, just accepted it, this would never have happened. It clearly only happened because of efforts on the side of Clemson and the supporters, which is great. Mm -hmm. And as people were quick to mention on social media, this is four programs now that Russell Dinkins has been involved in. Brown, Minnesota, William and Mary, and Clemson. If you're a university administrator and you cut track or cross country and you get an email in your inbox in the future from Russell Dinkins, you should just be very worried that whatever statement you put out previously, you might have to go and backtrack. Gordon, this one was as explicit as we've seen in the initial release when they cut it they said this decision is final we understand that people might be upset but we are not in any way shape or form going back on this thing they could not have been clearer and yet the program got reinstated um so now i'm to the point where you know when when COVID first broke and we knew that schools were going to be in bud in in precarious budget situations and people were going to use that as a pretext to cut track and cross country we thought, hey, some programs are going to go and then it might start this tidal wave. It, it's to the point now where I almost assume, and this is a credit to, to Dinkins and everybody else who's working on this, I almost assume that they're going to end up backtracking at this point. Because this is, again, four programs now where people have put out strong statements, universities have put out strong statements saying it's final. And there's been other programs too that have had been cut. There's other programs that have cut and then brought back one of the seasons like indoor or outdoor cross country. But all in all, the effort has been very successful. And typically we say, okay, people are gonna may raise this issue. People are gonna kick up some dirt, but then they, you know, the money will win out in the end or or the 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 people in power will win out in the end. And it's just been remarkable how that how that tide has has turned. I did see, and I know you probably thought this was interesting too, Clemson's like, well, we thought initially we were going to be two million short, basically, is what they said. But we did some rev we 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 looked at the numbers again post COVID, and and now we have the money. Yeah, I, I think they're probably still going to be two million short. I think they're just going to have to figure out a way to make up that two million elsewhere. I don't think they mm -hmm. recognize, oh, it wasn't a problem after all. I think they still probably have a financial problem, but they realize this wasn't the way to fix that financial problem. You mentioned. Uh, that when this first announced back in November that they said it was final. This was literally the quote. We appreciate and acknowledge the potential efforts to support or to reinstate the men's program. However, the decision is final and Clemson Athletics will move forward with just 16 sports. And then clearly when someone says it's final, it's not final. You know, they say, you know, like it, it's you still have a chance until she puts a ring on it, right? Isn't that the phrase or something like that? Well, there's no ring. You, it's still available. But like, hey, man, Russell took did not take no for an answer. Uh, mm -hmm. And even if, and even if if this didn't get reinstated in April, like say they still went and they kept it going into mm -hmm. next year, and they they actually didn't have track next next year. And they kept on going. Eventually, Clemson probably would have been like, oh, man, this is a headache. Like, mm -hmm. all right, you're coming back next year. You know, like there was no end point for the people on the Clemson side to stop fighting for it. They're going to keep going mm -hmm. until they get until they get what they want, which was mm -hmm. clearly shown. So, 
Dinkins mentioned in one of his his tweets about how the release didn't say anything about the fact that there was Title IX lawsuits on both the men and the women's side. He also mentions the fact that Clemson's going to end up spending more money, saying they have to pay the lawyers, right? They have to pay for all three seasons of the men's team. They've agreed now to add a new women's team, um, and then they have to deal with the financial aid, um, which he said will alone will likely cost them millions of dollars. So if the goal in here was to save money, they did not achieve that objective to say the least. But listen, bottom line here, I'm just ecstatic for the athletes who are on that team, who go to that school, um, who are in the midst of eligibility, we're thinking about transferring, having their experience uprooted. Now uh, they can stay if they want to. We obviously are close friends with a Clemson alum, Ryan Fenton, uh, who many of you guys know. Uh, so this was this was a, a cause that was taken up by alums and current athletes and people from the outside, like 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 Dinkins t together. Um, so it was pretty, it was pretty. Uh, uh, I don't want to say unanimous in terms of the rebuke, but like if you had told me when this thing first happened, when they first said they were canceling it, that this would have been the outcome, I'd say they basically they basically got what they completely what they wanted here. And they're, I mean, they're going now they're adding another women's sport as well, too. So if you're for more opportunities being created, uh, uh, the activism won out here. Um, so congrats to them. Very exciting stuff here. It's just good to start with good news, right? It's good to start oh, yeah. with some happy news for once. We had three months of opening shows with this program got cut. And now we're to the point where we're like, hey, this program got saved. And this one, Minnesota was pretty egregious, right? Because it was a, a power five school. But then you go to Clemson, right? And we know this all the success with their football team. It just seemed like it was ratcheting up and it was gonna get to a point where it was gonna be a school that not only was a big name, but had current huge implications on NCAA track or cross country, like at this second. And and that's where we were, were trending. So big win there for Clemson track and field got a comment in the youtube comments uh patrick mccormick says i think i can find two million pretty easy in the clemson athletic budget <laughs> yeah i think they probably put two million two million in like what their fourth weight room for the yeah 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 for the second uh string linemen probably you know yeah <laughs> they probably have a like I mean, weight rooms for the second string in, in, in football i know there was limited spectator capacity last year but has clemson football ever been more popular uh, as a product has that ever been more marketable, so. right? This is at its apex, which again, it, it just made the, the decision to to cut it for financial reasons that much more egregious. Any last thoughts on this before we move on? Um, do you think uh, Trevor Lawrence goes number one next week in the NFL draft? I do, mostly because of this decision. I think the two things are related 100%. And oh, I'll, I'll do that on our- been. Do you think how often would have been if he had like a save Clemson track undershirt mm. underneath his suit that when he got drafted first overall, he would just like open it up and write save Clemson track? Well, that would have been now he can't do it. Now he's got to return the shirt. I'm not maybe reporting that was going to happen. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they knew that mm -hmm. Trevor Lawrence they were was about afraid to show that shirt on national TV and forever be like in yeah. every photo ever, forever. And I think they're like, oh, that's the last straw. The, anyway. the, the pressure campaign worked. Uh, Here's the question. All right. What does yes. the Save Clemson track 
and field Instagram and Twitter accounts do now? Like, well, they put it to past tense. It's saved. Clemson saved cross country. But like, yeah, what do you tweet about? Tense. Yeah, you, oh, that's, like, that's a good point. Thursdays of like moments when you were trying to like, do you just like stop tweeting? I think it's a good problem to have. Maybe it turns into the next. There'll be another program, I think. And people, then they transfer the account. Yeah, it's smart, right? Do that program. Keep the people. Yeah, yeah. Keep the people who are still involved and engaged in the issue, moving on to the next one because this is only building up. All these wins just build up momentum. And Dinkins, he was on the pod with us when this decision was first announced with Fenton. You can go back and listen to that podcast. His approach is you take each case individually and you work with the people at the university, the athletes that are impacted by this and come up with a strategy. But I can only imagine that they're just gaining more and more information and each success breeds more confidence that if this were to happen again, they have a template to go off of for the next one. And they have momentum at their side. If you were taking losses in these cases, then the enthusiasm would certainly drop and the tendency would be for people to say, oh, that's just how it is. I guess I'll transfer or I guess I'll just let it be turned into a club team. But now with all the winning, I think that just begets more winning. And I think it's gonna, gonna create a situation where athletic departments are more hesitant to make this decision in the first place, which is ultimately what they want. Yeah. It's like, hey, if we have to choose any sport, don't choose this one, so. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go to some coaching news. Tom Schwartz, no longer with Tinman Elite. His name is literally, nickname is part of the group. That's where Tinman comes from. For those of you who are not familiar with the origins of the group, Corey Leslie, who had been working with Tinman Elite Group for the past couple months, uh, an experienced coach in his own right, will be heading up the group now. Uh, your reaction, Gordon, when you first saw this news? Uh, surprised. I mean, I was actually in Colorado filming a workout with Tim Men Elite and looking back at it, I was like, I remember getting, showing up to the workout and being like, all right, I'm going to want to mic up Tom. And Corey's like, oh, Tom won't be here. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, is Tom just not come to workouts anymore? That's weird. And then maybe I thought he was on vacation or just out of town or something. I don't know. So I just didn't think anything of it and did the workout. The guys have, you know, their good uh, cohesion. Um, and then a month later, you hear the news that Tom isn't there. And you're like, oh, that maybe that's why he wasn't at that workout. Because maybe this was slowly happening and this mm -hmm. uh, process of, the, the group of guys and Corey and Drew and all them decided to not work with Tom was in progress. And now the news is out. It's kind of weird, right? It's like, uh, I mean, isn't Tom Schwartz quoted? Uh, Let's run got a quick uh, interview with Tom and, and uh, Drew Hunter's parents. And Tom's like, I want my name back. It's just like, Whoa, mm -hmm. like that's that's gets kind of weird. Like, will Tin Men change their name? Uh, it's kind of weird to have your name off of your ex coach's nickname, but has yeah. the name brand become big enough that people don't associate Tin Man Elite with Tom Schwartz? They just associate Tin Man Elite with the logo and with the the, the YouTube channel and the social presence and the team. I don't yeah. know. Um, it's getting weird. 
I'll say that. If any, if if any group was more, is there any group out there that's more identified with that name than them? Right? Like, if the Batman Track Club changed their name, like had to change their name for some reason in a couple months, I don't think it would be as big of a deal as as Tinman do it. Like, it's just become synonymous, and they have all the gear, all the branding, like all that stuff that they've worked really hard to to create as a, as a connection to, to the running community. So you're right. It creates a very sticky situation to say the least. I mean, like, what if you, when you joined this company were like, Hey, let's call it Mac track instead. That's the new name of the website. And I get to decide because I'm Gordon for some reason you, in this scenario, you had actual power. Uh, and then you left and then Mac it's like, Hey, Mac, cool. Mac track, but it's, it's, connected to you and then you move on in your life and that's like well what do we do with that name so i you're right that is I a mean, weird a weird situation flow track former co-founder his last is his name is floriani so we didn't drop the word flow from flow sports so it does happen occasionally uh but do mm. we have a any recent Okay, there's a we have an Instagram here of Tin Man Elite. Is this their most recent Instagram post? I'm assuming. I don't know. They don't put it up on the screen. You tell me. Your eyes are better than mine. I have trouble seeing sometimes. So it's just like they're still calling themselves Tin Man Elite. I mean, they haven't mm -hmm. come out with a. Just, this post was April 6th, so I don't know if they have yeah. any public statement yet about what they're doing moving forward, um, but. Yeah, I mean, first of all, let's talk about Tom. I'm, we're kind of getting into the degree about the name, and it's weird. Uh, do you think this was the right decision? Uh, that it seems like the group of guys, mainly Drew, because Drew's probably the one financing most of this with his big contract. Yeah. Uh, do you think that um, it was the right decision on the guys' part? Do you think Tom's going to – what are your perspective on Tom's well opinion on it? What, what's your whole thoughts? It's just an interesting dynamic in that group because you're right. You have Drew at the top who's financing a lot of it. And you have some people, obviously, who are accomplished runners in their own right. But it's not the same as a Bowerman type group, right? It's not the same as a team boss type group where you have somewhat even distribution. And I know there's not that many big groups out there, but usually you you do see it balanced out to where there's like clear okay we have a we have a couple 5k people or a couple 1500 people or maybe have one of each and they can cross over and train but they're both like world caliber obviously you have you know parsons is an accomplished runner uh hunter an accomplished runner you know reed fisher they have people who have accomplished things but this was set up with drew in mind like drew was was the focal point so you look at his performances over the last uh couple of years made the 2019 team right obviously didn't end up going to wasn't able to compete in, in doha parsons made the world team but making a change no i don't think it's i don't think it's outside the realm of of what was re reasonable if they feel like they're stagnating and and sort of staying in the same spot but it is interesting though because how do you in that case how do you judge a coach right do you judge the coach on how the best runner in the group is doing how the median runner in the group is doing, how the new people who are adapting to the system, you have marathon runners in there, you have 1500 meter runners on there. I mean, it almost just resembled a, a regular, like a college or a high school type team where you have this huge distribution of talent, which makes it a lot easier 
or a lot more difficult, excuse me, to judge how well they're doing, right? Like, let's just use the Bowerman comparison again. If we go to the Olympic trials and Bowerman only puts two people on the team, you can be like, hey, what was up with Bowerman? J- Joe Schumacher did not have that. Like their their whole purpose is to make teams, correct? Whereas, you know, a team that's a lower tier could go have one person make a team and have a couple people PR and it's this huge resounding success. Um, one thing I've learned, Tinman coaches a lot of elite high schoolers online all throughout the country. If, if there's a fast high schooler and you do a little bit of Googling about him, you're like, oh, they're, they're coached by Tinman. It's pretty... He's, he's pretty well-known and well-established. Now, is he the right person for Drew in this point in his career? And that, that's a different question entirely. And clearly, I felt like, like he wasn't. But it, it doesn't surprise me. And, like, you look at how many times people actually change groups and change coaches. The people who stay with one coach for the entirety of their career are the exception, not the rule. Yeah, I think the weird part in this situation is that typically the person in charge of a group is the coach, Mm -hmm. not the best athlete, right? And typically, if an athlete wants to leave the coach, Mm -hmm. the athlete leaves the group, the athlete doesn't kick the coach out of the group, right? This is like a weird situation which is kind of inverse. Because say Drew is like, yeah, I don't think this whole Tom Schwartz's thing is working out and it was set up the right way, he would leave the group and go join a different group or go do his own thing. But because mm-hmm. he technically is in charge of the group, he doesn't need to leave anything. He can just remove what he doesn't want from the group. And that's what makes this whole situation a little more awkward because the uh, hierarchy isn't like brand, coach, and then athletes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because like, you know, when Kara Goucher wanted to leave Salazar, she didn't kick Salazar out of the group. Salazar stayed at NOP. She left the group and went somewhere different, you know, because that was best for her. And I think Drew or whoever on this group and the team, they were like, what's best for me is a change. And changes isn't an indictment on the coach because, mm-hmm. hey, man, like there's no such thing as like, a fairy tale 25 year run with one coach type thing that happens all yeah, the time. Like yeah. Tom Schwartz is still a great coach. He's still gonna great coach athletes to great success. And these these athletes are also great athletes and they're gonna still have success without him. And like people just need change. I mean it's like, you know, we Change is good, no, you're, right? So you're gonna compare. You're about ready to compare to the Sixers. I know you're about to go there. You're just you're about to say something about the Sixers coaches throughout the years, but that's okay. I, mean, I, I, still I like think Brett Brown's a great coach, but I'm not. I'm. I. I think Doc Rivers. I think Brett Brown. If Brett Brown was here, the Sixers would be just as good. But that's yeah. a very bad take that people won't agree with. Anyway, uh, I do want to say though, like one thing that people kind of like keep on comparing Tinman to is to Bowerman mm-hmm. and. Because it's like a group, and it has a brand, and it well, has jerseys. And people like, when you compare Timmin to Bowerman, it makes Timmin look not as good. But here's the reality. I was just doing it in because it's the first group I thought of that had a name. You're, I was not comparing yeah. it as a one-to-one there, uh, just for the record. It, you could argue, people aren't going to want to hear this, but you could argue that Tin Man is more successful than Bowerman. 
because our sport is weird, man. Our sport is not success is the only thing that matters. Yes, Bowerman are better runners than Tin Man mm-hmm. across the board. They are faster. They're going to make more world teams. They're going to win more medals than, than Tin Man. No one can argue against that. But in our sport, that is not the way to like grow a business model. Like Sport's a business, and we're in a business where our sport doesn't really care as many about who has the fastest time or just because you got yeah. third place in a steeplechase or whatever. They care more about brand and a, and growing a business, and people don't want to accept that. People only want to accept that fastest people are most important. They want to like you right. rank the order, and if you're the fastest, you're most important. If you're second fastest, second most. But like, hey, in a in business, it's not the fastest that gets paid the most. It's the, the people who know how to use sell the brand. And look at someone like Kyle Merber. Kyle Merber probably got paid more than some other runners who he was slower than because he had a better brand and him with and his relationship with Hoka was more successful than someone who kind of kept their mouth quiet and just ran fast and. No one really talked about it, and maybe it was in a an event that wasn't as popular, you know. So I just think that yeah. Tin Man should be given credit for being able to turn good athletes. They're not they're not hobby joggers. They're legitimate athletes. They can run fast. They can make U.S. finals. They uh, taking that and turning it into a very profitable business model, which some groups aren't doing. Some groups are just spending money. Like, how much money does Pete Julian's group make? You ask that as if I have any clue at all about the finances of the sport. I think your point you turn a profit? is well. I think your point is well taken. Yeah, I mean, we've all heard we've all heard stories about how much merch Tinman sells. I've seen people run around Austin with the the logo on their on their jersey which again going back to our original point which makes the naming and the brand part of this conversation and this this story so much more confusing because what i was saying before is like you could extricate bowerman from the name or from the logo and then within a year or two i don't think anybody would notice but this is different because they've done a really good job establishing it and they've they've looked at the sport from that perspective to their credit not to not to say that you're required to do that but that's just the approach that they took and they understand that a lot of people want to go along for the ride and see what it's like to run post collegiately. You know, maybe you don't run 1305, maybe you run 1325, but you're going to get perhaps more fans if you're open and accessible and you do things like sell things with a logo on it. So that way you can be a fan of the sport. A hundred percent. I, I understand your, your perspective there from a, from a business side of things, man, you were going hard there on the brand stuff. It was like, I was in well, some sort I mean, of seminar. It's just here. like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. People don't want to face reality and they want to think that our sport, like, like is like, if you're LeBron James, you're most like, it's not, it's not a one-to-one ratio of order of best to work. I mean, do you know how many people are better than Americans? Well, both things are true, right? And like, you could have any like random two oh five Kenyan out there. They're probably getting paid less than a than a two ten marathoner in America because no one knows who they are. Mm-hmm. It's just like branding. There's two different things. Just- 
Well, there's there's two different things. You can judge. You can say who are the fastest runners, right? And then you could say which group has the best business model. Those are two different things. You don't just we don't need to put it all in one thing and say this group is more successful than this group because of X. They're successful in in different ways and they have different different goals. And again, that's what makes this scenario so interesting because of the name, because of the logo, because of like you said, the distribution, the whole thing built around Drew Hunter and then building out from there. That's not something that you see all the time with these clubs. Uh, you've kicked off a discussion in the chat about, oh, well, among other things, whether or not, you know, who's Ty Lue, who's David Blatt, all sorts of Sixers and, and NBA coaching talk here in the chat. Uh, we'll it. leave it there. We'll move on. We got other stuff to talk about here. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, shout out uh, Andy Bear, retired, great steepler, made the 2019 team in... Doha ran 8-12 in that race, which was a PB finish 12th. He was fourth at the trials or U.S. champs in 2012, 2015, 2016, 2017. So he was the proverbial first one out and then finally got it done. Um, decided to retire uh, after a just impressive career going back to his college days in Indiana. It was always a great guy to talk to in the mix zone on a, on a personal note. It was always open and candid. I want to ask you, though. He had the Olympic standard. Implications on the U.S. team with Bear retiring. So I had him ranked fourth because Evan Jager doesn't have the standard, right? And I assume Evan Jager will get the standard eventually. And then if he does, your team is very strongly likely potentially going to be a Stanley Cabeni, Hillary Bohr, and Evan Jager top three in any, yeah. or, in any order. Um one thing I did think though about Bayer's statement, he got someone did an interview. I forget who credit who uh, broke the news. You know the, uh, the David source, Woods so. in David Woods David in Woods. the Indianapolis Star. Yeah, yeah. David Woods did a good interview with him, and uh, Andy Bear was quoted saying, "Like, I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said, but he basically said it's not going to be all this training won't be worth it if I get fourth. Like mm -hmm. he." He was able to, he was like weighing the pros and cons and like he did not want to risk taking away two years of training away from like the distraction of training with his family and all that stuff. And if for it to come up fourth again, he would say that was not yeah. worth it. He was like, which is kind of wild that like he, I think because he's gotten fourth so many times and he's done that, like another yeah. fourth place finish for him would have been like, him felt like lost years of family time and all that stuff. Yeah. Which is kind of wild because some people are like, no matter what, I'm going to go for that dream, get my, make my first Olympic team. He was like, it's not worth it. And he also said one thing, my college years were the most fun running beyond uh, mm -hmm. pro years. Which I think yeah, says a lot about our sport too. that, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Why? Because the college you're in a team, you, you have structure, you have like just a, a yeah team and structure goes so much than just being on your own jumping in a meets no one cares if you're there or not like it's like mm -hmm. you have you're representing a billion dollar corporation and not a school sure it's a billion dollar school but the school has like history and fans to it known as like getting nike tattoos 
on their arms. They're getting <laughs> Indiana Hoosier logo tattoos, probably though. You know, no one yeah. is people are gonna dress up in Indiana Hoosier craziness, but no one's gonna be like Team Nike. You know, this is not a thing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's true. I think college is yeah. more fun to run than being a pro. I mean, the money's fun. Don't get me wrong. So there's nothing wrong with going pro, but there is something. Was that about... your experience? <laughs> what college versus pro running? Yeah, yeah. How was your pro career? Was it was it pretty successful? Oh, my pro career was great. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm still working on. I did do a, my pro career was me deciding to run again two years after graduating, and I did mm -hmm. a. Someone's gonna find these results. Oh, it's gonna be embarrassing. I should not be telling people this because they're gonna see a five k time that is very slow i'll just say okay. it was what year was it i think it was someone's gonna get it in the chat someone's, someone's gonna, find, gonna it. find it i was in new york city i ran a new york roadrunners uh 5k it was during mlb all-star game and i ran like a really shitty 5k it was so embarrassing if someone if someone can find that result i'll power, power to you i think 2013 or 2014 i'm not sure what year it was but uh Anyway, I ran a 5K. And I was like, hey, I'm never going to be a pro. <laughs> I'm never going to be a pro. Tip of the cap to Andy Bear. All that being said, great career for, for Mr. Bear. One other news item I want to get to before some results. New ticketing process, excuse me, for the Olympic trials. So those of you listening out there, this is a public service uh, announcement about the tickets. So people are going to get a refund. Then depending on capacity limits athletes family friends will get first dibs and then people who had tickets already 2020 will get second dibs and then all others will have an opportunity assuming there's enough capacity so that's a lot of ifs i mean i we're obviously i think there's going to be some fans in the stands i think it's going to be limited so we're not going to see the new hayward field at its full capacity and for the purposes of this show Perhaps more importantly, Gordon Mack once again stymied in his attempt potentially to go to an Olympic trials. Sorry, man. Sorry. You had a good run. Here's the thing that I took. We'll get to that later. But the thing I took by this, there's a tier, right? First is friends and family yeah. of the athletes. Second is people who had tickets before. And third is everyone else. They're not getting to that second or third tier. Basically, every all these athletes have just become professional scalpers. And they are – there's a lot of people <laughs> – who now are buzzing potential Olympic trials uh, contenders? Be like, hey, we're friends, right? Yeah. Hey, you can. I'm your cousin, right? You know, like you're gonna see a lot of phone calls from out of the blue. Who's like, hey, remember me? I went to high school with you. Like, do you think someone who went to high school with like Donovan Brazier is hitting them up, being like, yo, remember science class, AP Calc, man? It sucked, right? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of yeah. that, you have uh, an extra ticket? I could go. You know. Well, but isn't part of being in the stands here the experience of sharing it with other people? And if you know it's going to be limited capacity, and it's probably only for that one event. If your son or daughter runs the 800, you're probably only getting tickets to the days there are the 800. Otherwise, you'd probably fill up the stadium because there's so many athletes involved in this thing, and it would completely defeat the purpose of the the capacity limits here. I... Again, not surprised at all, and I get that they're prioritizing it, but it's just a different – like when basketball says friends and family, that's an easy lift, right? 30, 40, if you include coaching staff and everything like that, 50 people 
both teams. You're good. There's going to be that many people just in one single event. So to coordinate it will be will be a bit tricky. Um, also, Chris found your 5K, only... by the way. Chris found your 5K, so... 2257 at the MLB All-Star 5K, benefiting <laughs> Sandy Relief on July 13, 2013. Great job, Chris. Thank you. Good sleuthing. That was fast. A PB for Chris in the in in the comments. Continue though. Let's not dwell on that 5K. Uh, yeah, we don't want to dwell on that thing. Um, uh, but what was I say? Oh, if it's only can get tickets for your event and it goes to friends and family. Yeah. Say it's the 800 and there's like 40 people in the event. Sure. Only eight of them are going to be on the event on the final day. So well, right. the, how are they? There, there might be a lot of people who get tickets who won't show up because they're like, "Hey, mm -hmm. my son is eliminated. I don't need to watch this." Like, will there be kind of weird, like a lot of empty well, seats, e extra empty seats, because people are gonna like have tickets and then not use them because it's already limited. But then if you take away the limit of the limited, because they're like, "Hey, I'm not going to. I got eliminated. I don't need the tickets anymore." It's well, gonna be a weird thing. thing. But by the time, but by the time there's the 800 final, there's probably a prelim for another event that's starting that would fill in those seats. I think where it could get difficult would be towards the end when there's no more prelims and it's just finals. But this is where they're in a good position because they're in Eugene, Oregon. So if they see that they're a thousand under, they'll just ring the bell and you'll get a thousand people coming down from Hendricks Park or <laughs> from from the. Uh, the south of the, and there'll be a group that's willing to go and, and watch the meet. Also, we didn't say the, the actual first year is Magic Johnson. They didn't put that in the release, but that's actually the first person he's tier zero. who gets it. Yes, he's the first one who goes. Because if, you, if you're famous and you tweet about track, you get to go. So anybody who's, who's listening or watching and you have tickets, I'd check in on that. We previewed the road mile, the USATF road mile championships uh, on our Wednesday show. They did, ran the race. Eric Avila and Rachel Schneider were the big winners. This is one of those, it's, they call it the road mile, but it's hybrid road track. The last 600 are on the track, which I think is kind of cool. I'm a fan of this. I like it. I don't know if it means that the road label is inaccurate, but I, I kind of like when you go from the road to the track. Um, Avila was 358. Angles was second. He beat Clayton Murphy. They both ran 359. And Snyder was 430 ahead of Osika's 431. People are sleeping on think... Rachel Snyder. People are sleeping on Rachel Snyder because of all those fast, you know, Bowerman times and all those time trial marks. I think she she hasn't had her big – she had that really good 10,000. She's going to have a 5K where she makes a splash here, I think, in the lead-up to trials. Yeah, well, I think she's going to do 10, and I think she'll make the team. I want to say that – do you think Eric is it Avila or Avila? I thought it was Avila. Okay, Avila. Let's choose Avila. Do you think he can make the team? Let's put up those results. By by the way, let's get those results on the screen here. Here's here's Avila's team. Can he make the team? That's yes. He just beat yes. Beat Angles and Murphy. That's our legitimate yes. people. It's not like he won a a watered down field. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have the standard. We're, that's someone well, you'd say we're who sleeping does? on Rachel Schneider. We're sleeping on who Eric does have Avila. the standard. Well, I'm sleeping on both only of them, like, but who does have the standard in the men's 15 right now? Uh, How many people? people? You got that list exactly. I just I, like the list isn't 100 percent I like Schneider's right. range. If, let's get the women's results up there if we can. I like the I like Schneider's range. I like the fact that 
you know, she's fast over the mile, but she's for these championships focusing on, you're saying 10, I think she might end up in the five, right? At the beginning of the meet to double her chances. There's a possibility that that happens as well too. You see the Osika there in, in second, but yeah, what, who, the men's 15, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for yeah, something mean, to sort out in the men's 15. It's, it's Centro, Thompson, and Angles. And Centro is getting eighth a lot. Yeah. And Thompson, I mean, he he's kind of just hiding in. Well, he's hiding in the. Uh, Thompson's hiding in the Bowerman Woods doing what Jerry, you know, <laughs> the whole like, we don't run in real meets uh, approach. Uh, and then. Yeah, Craig Angle's getting second to Avila. So Avila just needs to hit the standard. We're going to need to see some fast 1500s eventually. Maybe these guys are running back at Drake in a fast 15 potentially uh, on Saturday, but the weather might not be perfect. You never know. Uh, We need fast 1500s, man. That's what you need. I think this is a win for Angle's. Every week that goes, and Centro, every week that goes by that another person doesn't emerge as a bona fide contender is a win for them, every week that goes by where another fast person doesn't get the standard is a win for them. Now, this weekend at this meet in Eugene, we might see some people get the standard. Uh, so we may change our tune by the time we get to Monday. But Angles, that's good enough for now. 359 gets second. He's clearly in in shape and certainly ahead of, of some other folks here. Do you want to talk about the USATF Grand Prix this weekend? I do want to show one thing. Let's show the Rachel Schneider Instagram photo. Do we got that? Yeah, I think it's on thing. If you don't want to put it up. There it is. So Rachel Schneider, she posts this post, uh, you know, about winning. Top two comments (laughs) are from the competition. Emily Enfield, fabulous work lady, heart emoji. Shannon Roberry, congrats. Okay. Are they actually happy? Because this is the person who could take away their spot at making an Olympic team. Like, is this a little bit of like fake congrats or real congrats? Because I don't know. I think Shannon Roberry should be like, shit, you're you're looking good. This isn't this isn't good for me because I got I gotta make my final Olympic team. And Emily Infeld's like, oh no, you got the speed. I'm not sure if I can run that mm-hmm. fast at the end of a 10K. This might be some passive-aggressive uh, congratulations. What do you think? Maybe, well, I've had Emily Enfield on the podcast before when it was called a different podcast a couple of years ago, and she strikes me as one of the nicest human beings on earth. So I I think for sure it's genuine. Maybe because she's succeeding in the mile, they're like, man, your speed is amazing. You definitely should yeah. do that mile. Stay there. Let's, let's, stick, to the, <laughs> let's stick to that 1500. I I did not look into the comments though, so just great, great research by you. Nice I like that. There you go. Good. You're always good for some Instagram That's sleuthing. Sh- I, I want some. Uh, I want some uh, drama. I want some Instagram or Twitter drama. Yeah. We need that. And right now, Shannon Roberry and Emily Infield are just giving heart emojis and congrats with exclamation points. I need them to be like, <laughs> hey, what? Wait, wait for wait till next week. That's what I want. I'm like I'm next. You know, I don't know. Yeah, some, some craziness. USATF Grand Prix in Eugene this weekend. Uh, I got the top, my list uh, of top five 
matchups, top five races here. And then there's someone notable in every single event, though. Let's just be honest. We should mention, though, we got the, uh, you know, Trayvon Romel will be in action, who you just interviewed. And then Jenny Simpson is going to be in action, who I just interviewed. So we got some some interviews with with folks who will be um, kicking off Justin their Knight seasons. And, uh, well, oh, yeah, Justin you're right. Might be there. Yeah. So everyone yes, we interviewed 100%. is going to be there. But but like so Trayvon, right? This is his first big hundred of the year, his first hundred in general of the year. And and you, you interviewed him. Um, Jenny's. He doesn't have the first. What's that? Speaking of Trayvon. He doesn't have the mm-hmm. the standard because he ran his fast times during that uh, um, dead period in 2020. Yeah. And yeah. not that Trayvon can't hit the standard, but what yeah. if there's wind in every race that he runs and yeah. he goes into the trials every single race a le- he runs. Le- legal wind we- to get the standard? It could happen. Yeah, we don't know how those – Wins will play out in the new Hayward configuration. We definitely understood yeah. it with the old Hayward. Uh, Jenny Simpson, again, hasn't run a race since uh, pre-COVID last year. She ran a fast 5,000. Uh, I interviewed her uh, a couple weeks ago. If people want to watch that. Um, she's going to be running her, her first 1,500. And she is featuring in one of, one of my top five races alongside Laura Muir, which will be a lot of fun. But let's talk about these other ones here. So I have Simpson versus Muir in the 1500, uh, Bromel versus Lyles and Baker in the 100. What do you think of that race? Uh, which one? You, you said two. Bromel, Lyles, Baker. I mean, I think Lyles is going to be better than his 1008. I think he's going to show up and be more like him his usual self i think baker's still going to be strong and i think i think Tray, the, talking to trayvon trayvon seems like he's he's sharp and he had the vibe of i'm better than everyone else i just can't tell mm-hmm. anyone yet i have to wait till i do it on the track um but i think that order is going to be a trayvon baker noah that that'll be the one two three and i think trayvon probably runs like nine nine two that's what I would do. This meet in general just has a very Diamond League vibe. Does. But it has – but with like an American-centric twist on it. But it, it does have a Diamond League heavy vibe. Bromel, Lyles, and Baker, I think those are three of your top four in your 100-meter rankings right now. The only person missing from that would be Gatlin, I believe. Correct. So this is yeah. a – this is this is a, a trials – preview here the other race so my third one so we got women's 15 men's 100 these are no order but these are the five that i highlighted men's 400 because we get to see michael norman's first outdoor 400 since doha same for rye benjamin they raced indoors in that 400 but let's be honest we want to see these guys run outdoor in a quarter you know, unless Rye is running against Warholm or Samba, I'd almost rather see him in a 400 or a 200 because then we can see him actually get pushed and there's nobody outside of those two guys that are at his level in the world in the four-minute hurdles. So I'm really excited. Justin Robinson is in there as well too. So they're going to have to keep moving to, to win this race. We know good Michael Norman in April. We've seen this before in Mount Sac. 
43-45 in, in 2019. I think we're going to see a sub-44 here in this race. Ooh, sub-44. I think we're going to see a, a low-44. I don't think a sub-44. And the only reason I say that is because of the time off, you know, long time mm-hmm. pandemic, right, and all that stuff, and did run that indoor race. I don't think he's firing on all cylinders, uh, but I, I could see him running low 44. Uh, I mean, this guy, he is looking to kind of increase. We have a cool uh, tweet. Let's put this tweet up. Increase his foothold on the 100, 200, 400 club <laughs> of fast times. I mean, he's only going to get quicker, and eventually his total points are going to go up too, I believe. I think he's going to – I mean, right now he's second behind Bolt when he take in yeah. um, the total points. Is it based off okay. of yeah, scoring tables? So mm-hmm. this is his chance to lower even more, and then eventually Michael Norman could surpass Michael Johnson and maybe even Bolt if he goes on to have a stellar 200 later on in his career. Because I, I can see Michael Norman, be, Michael Norman becoming a 2-4 guy at Global Championships where he's doubling. Like, he should be a doubler at Worlds. Like, maybe next year. Maybe not this year, but if maybe the in schedule Eugene, allows. Like, if the schedule allows. Put that caveat in there because yeah, the way they have it schedules. set up. Well, by the way, they just released the World Championship 2022 schedule while we were recording. I'm not joking. This is not a drill. Oh, I really? just got it in my inbox. Yeah, I'll do a full okay. breakdown. An analysis on we don't, we don't have time today. We have like ten more stories to get through. Is a two four double available? Is it two four? I, I'm double not gonna. Available? I don't want to. I don't okay. want to open Pandora's box, Gordon. You'll get me too okay. excited about what's possible and get or get me too angry about what's not possible. But I, I do. I understand from a, a talent standpoint, a hundred percent. Um, what's interesting though is this is Norman's like first outdoor four hundred since he became a nine eighty six hundred meter runner. We haven't seen Norman run a serious outdoor quarter since what he did at AP Ranch last year. So this this will be fun. Okay, the other race I'm looking forward to, women's quarter. We're in the women's quarter because we get to see Shawnee Miller-Webo versus Phyllis Francis and Wyland Jonathan. I, of course, you know, they were – Jonathan was four, Francis was five in Doha. I, I of course, want to see just what the top-line number. What does Shawnee Miller-Webo run? She's the big favorite here. But also I want to see that gap. I'd really like to see – I'm interested in that gap – between Miller Weibo and everybody else, you'd obviously put Sawi Nasser in there, but she's not in this race. So, how big is the gap between her and the and the Americans? And then my my fifth race here, women's eight, Gemma Riki and and Raven Rogers, because now a thing Mo has lit a match, thrown it into the eight hundred meters. I want to see the response here. Riki, of course, has has been a revelation for Great Britain over the past couple of years. Rogers, I think, is due for a PB. I don't know if it's coming in this meet, but I think she's due for uh, a personal best this year. Yeah, I, I think it's gonna be dramatic a, a pause. Good, yeah, dramatic, dramatic pause for effect, my man. Dramatic pause for effect, <laughs> not because I was looking up something else on the internet while you were talking. I apologize, uh, but yeah, it's gonna be. I'm excited for that 400. Excited for the 800. Talk about the elephant in the room of Thingmo. Marts, but I still, I know it's she wins 157, but for some weird ass reason, I still think she's fourth. 
behind the other big three. I need to see Hannah Green do something good so I can hold on to that because it really rides on Hannah Green showing up and running well at the trials. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I do want to say this. I do want to do a little, yeah. a, little, a little promo. If you're from the great country of Australia and you've enjoyed yeah. following Jessica Hall at Oregon, you enjoyed following uh, uh, Charlie Hunter running the 800 at Oregon, and you're a big fan of Oliver Hoare mm-hmm. from Wisconsin, they're all going to be in this race, in this meet. Jessica Hall's running the 5K. Yeah, let's – Let's put, up that start list. let's put up that start list, by the way. Oliver Hoare's running 1,500. And um, Charlie Hunter potentially maybe going for the collegiate record in the 800. Maybe he's run a 145 already. Uh, he's going to be in the 800. And you can watch it live in Australia. You hear that? <laughs> That's right. You can watch this meet from down under live in Australia. Watch Jessica Hall in the 5, Oliver Hoare in the 15. You can watch all the other races too. Um, but we have this. In Australia, we have actually all the Continental Tour meets in Australia. The only ones that are available mm-hmm. in the U.S. are basically every one except for the three uh, U.S.-based Continental Tours. So, Ostrava, Tokyo, you know, Nairobi. Basically, the list goes on and on. We have a bunch of. Uh, you click if you click that see more. Oh, we can go. We can look at it later. But if you click that see more, it just goes oh, on and on. How many? He's clicking it. Oh, is it coming up? Oh, it's all right. You didn't click it. But basically, it's like 18 events, all live on flow in the U.S. and Canada for all for 15 of the 18, in Australia for all 18. It's going to be some good good action and watch it live. Watch your, your Aussie fellow runners compete. That's all I have to say about that. Gordon, paying the, yeah, paying the bills there. Okay, so some other highlights. Uh, Cindy McLaughlin's running another 100 hurdle race. We saw her run in California uh, last week. So she's really doubling down on on the high hurdles. I'm kind of interested now in the strategy, Gordon. At first I was like, man, what's the, what's the plan? What's the process? But there must be something that her new coach, Bobby Kersey, has found to indicate that this is going to help her for the quarter. So it's not just, hey, she needs to make an appearance in a meet and we're going to put her in the high hurdles because either there's no low hurdles or we don't want her to race a low hurdle race. Like she could be getting in high in low hurdle races uh and she's not. So I'm interested in in Sydney in the high hurdles. Let me just run through some uh, other races here and you can pick out whatever you want. Men's 8, uh, Isaiah Harris, Charlie Hunter as you mentioned, Michael Struni, 1500, Brazier, Hopple, Oliver Hoare, Hobbs Kessler, Justin Knight, men's triple jump as Christian Taylor, the women's 100, Felix, uh Tiana Daniels, Brandon Williams, Mariel Hore, Candace Hill. Uh, Jenna Prandini, Morelake Akinison, Blessing Okabare, Tiana Bartoletta, Women's 5000, Jessica Hull, and Sarah Hall. That Women's High Hurdles has Jasmine Camacho Quinn, who just ran uh, 12 3, and then Sydney McLaughlin. High Jump, Vashti Cunningham, Tori Franklin, the Triple Jump. Shot Put has the whole U.S. contingent on the women's side, Ewan, Ely, and Carter. And then Hammer Throw, Deanna Price, who just broke, the, broke her own American record. I suppose you want to talk about that Men's 15, though. You just spent like 30 seconds listing every athlete that the name you recognized. It's like, and today's basketball game, we have Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, oh, there's more names Harris, Seth Curry, Danny Green, Corkmans. She just kept on going. There, I guarantee you, by the time you started saying the second name, everyone's like, all right, we get it. There's people there. 
not not to you just felt like you i feel like you had this feeling that i need to say their name or else i feel like i'm being like unfair to not mentioning that they're also good and not just turning it into a donovan brazier podcast or a like i like to call call every podcast a manual career fan club podcast or mercy Chilangot fan club podcast but i get it um yeah 1500 will be good brazier in there hobbs kessler um I'm not sure what's the 1500 uh, high school record. Do we know what that is? Do you know what it is? Someone say it in the chat. What's the 1500 high school record is? The say it again. Can you hear me? Do you know what the 1500 oh, the high, high school, school record, record is? Sorry, I couldn't hear you there for a second. Yeah. It's all right. I'll bring you. 1500 high school high record school is a challenge to all of the listeners out there. Who can be the first oh, one? Mountain Web three three thirty eight twenty six. Yeah, three thirty-eight twenty-six Allen Webb. So, hey, maybe maybe we'll see that. Uh, Kessler's l- looking good. He ran a fast two mile a few weeks ago. Uh, he'll be in a a fast race. Maybe we talk about the fifteen hundred needing to get moving. Maybe this is how we get it moving. We get someone like Donovan Brazier in there, who's like, guys, I'm a world champ. I ain't gonna lollygag in this race i'm gonna take it out and he's gonna run like 335 for the win brazier i could see also trying to get the standard because he's like hey i need to have my backup plan if i fall in the 800 prelims so yeah can you hear me kevin are you just being silent um i got a question for you though i hit me what do you think well i can say that for gordon's guesses i'll say that for gordon's guesses I'll say it for Gordon's guesses. I think uh, Knight mentioned it was funny when we had him on the pod. It's like if Brazier's in my race, that's where you'll see me do some leading because obviously everybody's going to be afraid of Brazier's kick in that race. So people push it from farther out than you would in a normal 1500. So we have a lot of other things going on. Uh, this weekend live on Track is the – the Philadelphia Metropolitan Collegiate Invitational presented by our good friends at Toyota. I added that part, the good friends at Toyota. Uh, so this is one of those replacement meets for what the Penn Relays um, was going to do. So it's being put on by the Penn Relays, not by UPenn. Um, and it's basically a bunch of Philadelphia local schools like LaSalle, Penn, Ryder, St. Joe's, Temple, Villanova, Delaware, and a few others in the D2, D3 range uh, competing you know, on the Penn's track. Um, obviously, it's not the Penn Relays, but it's a it's a track meet. It's some college kids getting at it. Uh, it should be a good, fun one. Um, and, you know, after not having any Penn Relays last year, to be able to have something of that kind of brings the Philadelphia running community together to put on a, a good meet is a good placeholder, especially in 2021. So then ultimately in 2022, when we do have the Penn Relays, we can get into that wild and burning and have a good time back seeing all the Jamaican fans coming in, you know, seeing the people chase down on that on that home stretch. Be good, good times. But watch that live on Flow Track. It's short name, it's called the Philly Mets, which I'm not gonna lie, the, the name Philly Mets is kind of a weird thing because I hate the New York Mets, but I'm a huge Philadelphia sports fan. So Philly Mets is like a weird situation where Philadelphia bought the New York Mets franchise, and I don't know what to do about it. But Philly Mets, presented by Toyota, live on Flow, April 24th. Check all the action out. Uh, it's going to be a good weekend of live track. Uh, 
We got the Eugene meet live in Australia. We got this Philly Mets meet uh, live on Flow everywhere. Good action. So check it out. Dude, we had so much to talk about on this podcast. Too much. So I think Kevin's uh, Kevin's uh, internet is struggling. So it's 10 o'clock now. I'm going to wrap this up. I think we're going to wrap it up with a viral video that went viral earlier this week. A dog went on the track. You've probably seen this, so I don't really know if I need to re-explain it. For those listening, head over to YouTube and watch this clip. A dog won a 4 by one relay in dramatic fashion. It was very funny. You see this dog. I'm not sure what type of breed that dog is, but look at this. The dog, girl, boy, is like 80 meters back, runs down the athlete. Very funny. Watch that clip on YouTube, on repeat. Uh, basically, I see this clip of this dog winning this race, and it makes me think, hey, we need an Airbud track version. For those who don't, I'm not sure age demographic, but Airbud, very popular movie in the 90s or early 2000s about a dog who played basketball. We need a dog that runs in track. It's a mini golden doodle. Her name was Holly. So we already have an interview with the dog. We have literally an interview with the dog on our site. So you can check that out. I think so from Miles Split uh, found, tracked down the dog. First of all, they DQ'd the dog because of lane infringement on the, on the kind of went in the wrong lane. Also, the dog didn't have correct bib. The dog also was, you know, I don't know, break just... They did the, the the dog was also got DQ'd for a violation of threatening, uh, you know, with the whole like uh, intimidation factor. Because if you watch closely near the end, the dog slows up and eyes the athlete and kind of says like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I, I'm not only gonna beat you, but I'm gonna slow up, stare you down, and then cross the finish line." Uh, kind of reminds me of that LSU Houston battle from two years ago. Anyway, check out the article on the website, Holly the dog. Um, Apparently, though, the dog is retiring. There's a quote from the article. We put the article up on our site. The uh, The dog's owners have announced that Holly is retiring from competitive racing. So she's 1-0. I don't know about you, but Bolt lost a bunch of races. Holly the dog never lost a race. So Holly is Hall of Famer in my book. That'll be it, guys. Thanks for joining. We lost Kevin, but no worries. We'll be back on Monday to recap all the craziness happening this weekend. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, on this YouTube channel, everywhere. Listen to the podcast, wherever you listen to it, audio-wise, YouTube-wise. You get the idea. Send comments, guys. Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Gordon. Kevin's gone. His internet went out. We'll see you guys on Monday. <laughs>